The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to, to the, the Legendarium. Legendarium. But I think, in from my understanding of the world, the, <laughs> boy, are people going to have fun with this episode. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast, episode something, 290-something or other. I don't, I'm not keeping track these days. Uh, but we are coming up on 300, so thank you very much for listening, uh, especially if you've been with us for a while. If you haven't, then maybe you haven't heard me say this 800 times before, or I guess 300. Uh, but go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show if you haven't yet done so, and join the conversation with us uh, either on Reddit, which honestly is a bit of a wasteland these days, or on Discord, which is thriving. It's, uh, it's, it's really kicking over there, so we'd really love to see you there. Anyway, today we are talking about... The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, a long-awaited episode, a, a very long-awaited episode, mm-hmm. uh, so I hope everybody enjoys it. I am Craig, your host, and over there, he's like my own personal guardian, uh, always threatening to hold my hand if I don't do what he wants. It's Ryan Bruckman. And I squeeze very, very hard. The, yeah, okay. <laughs> and over there, she's hotter than a super volcano and twice as likely to burn down your hometown. It's sometime guest and my wife, Sarah. Hello. I don't have a cool retort for that because I'm actually so mild-mannered that I've never, I, I would never identify with a supervolcano. No, you wouldn't identify with a supervolcano, um, but that doesn't mean you're not like one. So Okay, let's right. talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Hanks Family Therapy Session here. <laughs> okay, so today, like I said, we're talking about the fifth season. Um, should I just get into, do we need to do any prep for this or should i just do the uh the the recap and then we start the discussion what do you think ryan i think we can just jump into it i really don't know what we'd prep people for our opinions aren't going to be that like <laughs> earth shattering or anything we've got so to, to talk speak about. so oh yes no pun intended there but very well executed if i do say so myself nice nice okay well all right let's do a little recap so if you haven't uh, read the book if you haven't listened to the audiobook or whatever then this may help you out if you have and it's been a little while you just want a refresher here's a few paragraphs on what the book is about the stillness is anything but it's a far future earth in which tectonic forces are far more violent than what we experience today those tectonic forces are both exacerbated and calmed by origins or those who practice orogeny the magic system in this story The power of the Origins is so vast and so potentially catastrophic that they have been brought under the thumb of several groups, especially the Fulcrum, an institution that schools and regulates Origins and their powers, and the Guardians, non-Origenic magic wielders of some kind who can nullify Orogeny and kill errant Origins. But... We learn most of that well into the book. We start by following three characters and knowing nothing about the story around them. (laughs) There's Essun, who is an origin in hiding. She's a mother of two whose story starts in tragedy when her husband kills their son and runs away with their daughter, and she goes on the hunt for them. Cyanite is a mid-level fulcrum-trained origin on a mission to clear some coral from a coastal town's harbor, a mission that turns out to be more fraught 
than anyone thought. And finally, Demaya, who is ostracized by her family and friends for her orogenic abilities and scooped up by a guardian and taken as a new recruit to the Fulcrum. Their stories appear wholly separate at first, except thematically, uh, but then they weave together in unexpected ways that I'm hesitant to spoil for anyone who hasn't read the book, but which we are going to do very soon. So if you like a good surprise and you haven't read the book yet, please go give it a shot and then come back, listen to the episode, because, yeah, we are going to spoil the crap out of this entire book. This is not one of those part one, part two things. We're just going to talk about the whole book, including the ending. So uh, now is your last chance, I think. I don't know when we're going to get to the ending, but you have been warned. From here on out, it's on, it's on you if you hear a spoiler. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Now, uh, Ryan. Yes. How did you feel going into reading this book? And, uh, you know, were you as nervous about reading it for the podcast as I was? Not nervous, no. Um, this is one of those book series that I've to, I will be 100% honest. I had no idea what it was, what I was getting to. I was not aware of N.K. Jemison a whole lot before this. Um, so, honestly, there weren't really, there wasn't really anything by way of high or low expectations on this. I just didn't know what I was getting into at the beginning. Um, and, honestly, that if I will say that that did affect my initial enjoyment of reading this series because this is not standard fare, at no. least not in the way that it is presented. And if you're not forewarned about that, if that's not something something that you are aware of going into it, uh, it might put a bad taste in your mouth at the very beginning. It, I think it is one that you can wash away fairly easily, honestly. Mm. But, I mean, let's just call the elephant out of the room. The second, uh, second narr person narrative was... It was hard. It was hard to deal with at the beginning. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was I was pretty nervous about doing this episode just because it's not because I'm scared to have an opinion that's different than other people's. Obviously, that's yeah. <laughs> not a, not an issue that I deal with. Uh, but I will say I'm I'm pretty proud of this little um, this little podcast that we've created. That's uh, it's a little haven that kind of sits outside of the contemporary political stuff of the day, and it's nice for us to get away from that stuff. And I hope it's nice for other people to have a place to get away from this stuff. But, I, so I was a little bit afraid because I know that Jemison and these books, uh, her works, they're a, they're a hotspot that a lot of discussion about contemporary politics revolves around. And I was a little bit nervous to get into that because it, it, you know, it's a bit like that, um, <laughs> the ill-fated Larry Correa episode that I ended up pulling. Mm -hmm. um, there, there were probably reasons that I could have left it, but ultimately it was just like, you know what, it feels weird for us to Wait into 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 anything like that right and so that's what made me nervous to get into it but i will say after having read the book um boy was i relieved mm -hmm. because and i'm gonna get into why but i don't feel like it has to revolve around those political issues like you don't have to press every hot button in a discussion of this book not to say it can't be done or it doesn't encourage that sort of thing but does that make sense yeah i I, I think I agree with it about 75, 80% of what you're saying because... <laughs> Story of our lives. Yeah. Because I think that also there, you don't have to go through and address those things. There's enough in the story if, if you don't want to. But I think it's a, a, a mild disservice to the author who made very clear some intent that she wanted sure. these things to be clear themes of her story. Yeah. To, to, you can't ignore don't them. Don't ignore them. Right. Yeah. We need to make sure, you know, have discussion, be aware of them, but we... But I don't think it has to be the only thing that you pull out of this book is political commentary. Right. Well, but yeah, I mean, that maybe that's a good time for a, a trigger warning. We will acknowledge the existence of 
political issues during this episode yes. probably so if that if that triggers you head out now um okay so sarah Mm-hmm. What about you? So this is a question that we got from Jafu on Jafu. I'm sticking with that pronunciation, by the way, on Discord. Uh, he said, I want to hear about your expectations for the book and what they were and how the experience compared. And I, I want to throw that to you specifically because you are not steeped in the fantasy community the not way that we are. And so what were your expectations? Were they anything beyond what I had told you? Um, No, they were not anything beyond what you had told me. What did uh, I tell you? You told me like there's this there's this uh, trio of books or trilogy, I guess you would say in the fantasy. <laughs> in in I, the lingo. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty well versed, I must say. Uh, trilogy of books that were very well regarded. They won something called the Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite. I love this. <laughs> um, which I took to be a big deal. Um, and that they were political and they did talk about race. Um, and then other than that, I think my expectations were what my expectations always are when I agree to read a fantasy novel that you ask me to read, <laughs> which is like, okay, well, take a deep breath. Let's see. <laughs> this isn't going to be my cup of tea exactly, but I'm willing to, to try and we'll see how it goes. How did it go? How was the tea? The tea ended up being, uh, piping hot and great. I, I actually <laughs> enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, I I think part of it was because her style and I, I hesitate to even say these things because I have so little experience reading fantasy and sci-fi, but I feel like her um, her writing style was more accessible than other fantasy novels that I've read. That's so interesting to hear. Oh, my word. It just goes yeah. to show the different types of books that you read. For sure. Versus what I and many other fantasy yeah. readers go for. Yeah. Because this is, like Ryan said, this is not your typical fare. Right. For an epic or high fantasy. What and would I, you I think would that's you probably this? why I gravitated towards it more is because right. I didn't have to understand the way that fantasy usually works in right. order to be like, oh, I can do this. Okay. Yeah. Wait, Ryan, what, what, what epic fantasy? It's flirting on the edge of it. I mean, on the scale of the the certainly cataclysm, cataclysm and all that, that. Yeah, it fits. Uh, the feel of the whole piece, though, with epic fantasy, you get so used to you know this huge world building and all these different things. And this world is big, but it's it's in that sense of small tribes of people. It doesn't really yeah. feel doesn't have the grand grandiose feeling to me that a lot of epic fantasy has where, yeah, you get to learn the names of 20 different nations and their special cultures and everything. Right. This is more, you've got like three or four core groups. So it lacks that feel, but it still has enough elements that if someone said it was epic fantasy, I wouldn't argue yeah. with them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so let's talk a little bit about style. I know we got some style questions in here. I'm going to skip a couple to get to. Oh, where is it? Um what lady sweden asks what did you think of the writing style apart from the second person i want to come back to the second person in just a moment um and and how we felt about it so sarah you enjoyed the style and that's probably what kept you going especially Mm -hmm. at the beginning ryan you had a hard time with the second person at least at the start Mm -hmm. i i get that i oh no we're not going to talk about the second person yet i will say the the style generally without talking about the second person portions specifically, it was a bit like she was trying to, I I don't want to say walk a tightrope. It was like she was jumping between two tightropes. And one of them was the typical kind of straightforward 
uh, prose style that we know. Granted, it was in third person present instead of third person past, which we're used to probably most often in these. But then um, she would go into this kind of, I, I call it Cormac McCarthy uh, territory. If you've ever read Cormac McCarthy, it's he's the kind of writer who would look at you askance if you ever mentioned commas. What's a comma? Mm-hmm. You know, just very clipped short sentences, weird punctuation and, you know, paragraph breaks and unexpected locations and that kind of thing. And it was for me a little bit jarring. That was the part that was jarring was to try to to try to get on her page, so to speak, when she would switch between the two modes. And I'm like, oh, OK, we're in McCarthy mode. Oh, no. OK, now we're in Rothfuss mode or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I could see that. And, I, and actually, I, I recognize having felt that way while going through the books as well. Um, I think, though, to me, I was I, I noticed that those those variations, it didn't seem like it, it seemed intentional to me in the sense that especially with the the way this world exists and everything being uh, jarring and uh, I mean, I have to describe it this way, and it may make zero sense, so I apologize. <laughs> I'm excited already. But this whole world is broken plates and, you know, earthquakes and shifting and hard edges. This whole world is just all of that that ripped edges feel. And so to have things be shorter and rougher and that in terms of this writing style to me speaks to match the world and the characters that we're, we're seeing. Yeah. And so that's the way I took it. Is it jarring? Yes, because it has edges and it's supposed to be. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah that that for me was the only thing that really stood out about that I like that that's a, that's a good like meta explanation yeah I don't know Sarah do you have any response I just appreciated that the way it was written as I said before it 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 seemed accessible to me there wasn't um, whenever I've read um, other fantasy novels it seems like a lot of times things get real flowery real lofty real real descriptive yeah and that just does, that is not my jam. And so to, to have it be more straightforward and at times jarring, it, it didn't bother me at all. It felt like I was just reading from a more, a more contemporary writer sure. and that's what I tend to like anyways. And so a little more down to broken earth. Yes. Okay. Yes. You could say that. <laughs> You're really proud of yourself for that. Come one, on, I just <laughs> came up with that. I didn't even workshop that. That was uh... You know, sometimes genius just happens. <laughs> uh, okay, now let's talk about the second person. Uh, because this is one that, this is one of the expectations I had going in. Everybody talked about, oh my gosh, she writes in the second person. It's so weird. Or it's so brilliant. Or whatever. And this is one of the areas where I didn't take any time to adjust. I loved it outright. I really enjoyed it. And I did not expect that. If you told me and you know people did they tell me beforehand oh it's in the second person i'll be like oh that's tedious it sounds like when you say that it, it sounds like oh, okay so it's some writing exercise from uh you know phd level program like oh, okay write an entire novel in the second person which she, she doesn't do a third of it is in the second person but anyway and so i'm like oh, i don't want to read somebody's writing exercise but i thought it turned out to be really effective and i quite enjoyed those portions and here's my theory i think i've run this by you before but i'm not sure ryan if i've mentioned this so here's my theory my theory is here's a woman who wants to write a book that is largely speaking to issues of 
race and oppression and systems of power and, and all that stuff, right? So now she's got this character, Essen, and she wants people to see, she wants people to really get where Essen is coming from, feel her pain, understand her situation. And for for whatever reason, you know, some people might not, in a, in a typical stylistic setting, might not um, identify with certain characters. Let's take Stormlight archive for example it's got a million different characters take your primary three you got, you know, Kaladin and Shallan and Dalinar and people have their favorites and they're like oh you know I just don't really identify with Shallan mm-hmm. I just don't identify with Dalinar's story I'm all about Kaladin right? right and by using the second person I think she was saying screw you guys I'm not giving you a choice you don't have a choice you will identify with this woman mm-hmm. and she does that by putting you behind her eyes so to speak so that you see what she sees and by using the second person by saying you experience this you see this you feel this whatever i think it was a really effective way for her to convey that character i agree and that's i think one of the reasons why initially i had a very why i had a very difficult time with it is because uh, i am not a woman (laughs) <laughs> I have not lived through a lot. I have not lived through oppression. Your, I your not, skin is your skin is nearly clear. Yeah, this is not this is not what I <laughs> this is not my lens that I look through. Sure. And so when you hear you you you, especially uh, cross gender cross those things, uh, it's it was difficult for me at the beginning to go wait no hold on this isn't this isn't how I identify this isn't how I deal with these things. So then you have a choice do you you get to the point there's kind of this moment of friction when that happens if you're feeling that way where you say okay i can either say that i don't identify this way i don't deal with this and break off and say i'm not dealing with this or let go and actually try and experience it through that lens Mm -hmm. and i'm like well that's what i'm gonna get what i'm gonna do and as soon as i do that you know it's again it's a fantasy novel it you can decide to not give it a ton of weight if you don't want to uh in that sense so for those who are like, well, I can't do that, like you can, like it's very possible to do. Um, but once, once I, once I kind of let myself go and say it, that it doesn't matter that this isn't the way I normally see things, try and see it through this lens. Uh, I was able to re- to enjoy the second person narrative a lot more. It, it became, it wasn't jarring anymore mm-hmm. for me to make that switch. Um, did I understand everything? No, I did no, not. Yeah. But that's okay. That's for me, especially if in subsequent rereads and things like that, going back through it, you know, I, I feel like there will be less time getting into that sure. mindset than what initially was required. Now, I think that's really interesting you say that. It's it's a bit like when when people say, oh, I, you know, I kind of want to read The Silmarillion, but I know I'm going to be missing so much context. And I'm like, don't worry about it. It's okay. You can be missing context and it's still enjoyable for other reasons, you know, Mm -hmm. and then as you gain more context, other things will unfold. And, you know, that's okay. That's what rereads are for and future learning. And um, and I think this book would would uh, benefit greatly from rereads. In fact, I think I'll get to that in a moment. But Sarah, I'm going to kick the second person question to you and and give you again Jafu's wording of it here, Mm -hmm. who said, did you like the second person narrative? And if not, why are you wrong? (laughs) Jafu, I did like it. So no worries there. I'm very curious to see how this unfolds in the next two books in the trilogy. Because, well, there were two things that stood out to me. I believe we just got a commitment. Sarah's coming back for two more episodes. (laughs) I didn't say anything about episodes. Oh, okay. No, I, 
there were two two seg, uh, excerpts in particular that felt like they were giving hints about the the use of the second person. And I, I don't know if that's true, but these are both really short. There's one line that says, after all, a person is herself and others. Relationships chisel the final shape of one's being. I am me and you. And then there's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, this is um, from the prologue um, talking about Essen. Because at this point, Essen in the prologue is not spoken about in the second person. Right. She says, the woman I mentioned, the one whose son is dead, she was not in Eumenes, thankfully, or this would be a very short tale and you would not exist. Oh, it's interesting. Fascinating. And I don't know whether that, in a way, it makes me feel like oh. you would not exist like you're her descendant or you would not exist because you're the reader and you right. are observing this or you would not exist because in a second you're going to step into Essen's shoes like... I don't know. I just think it's really rich. And in order, you're right. Like the second person is such a writing exercise that can be a little like hoity toity, but to do it well, I think there has to be some depth to it. And I feel like there is, but I don't know. I don't know the full shape of it yet. Yeah. No, I, I really like that passage. And we know by the ending that it's <laughs> Hoa who is telling the story mm-hmm. of Essen. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder now I hadn't thought of it before, but I wonder if he is telling one of her children or grandchildren or, or descendants right, right. if he is telling the story to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but when it goes into the second person, it sounds more like he's talking to Essen. You know, I yeah, don't know. It's it's complicated. Yep. Ryan, you're, you're laughing. You got a smile on your face. <laughs> well, I, Tell me why. I have finished. Justify your smile, Ryan. <laughs> I have finished the series and that that does a whole lot. That That statement does a whole lot for me that tells me how far in advance she planned things out. Oh, for mm. sure. Oh, yeah. This These days, I don't imagine there are a lot of writers who write a book and then figure out the series later. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because so, you, you sell the trilogy. Yeah, this is, that was, that's really, I like that a lot. Nice. Uh, that opened up a new perspective to me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Reviewing that. I, I feel like you get the sense at the end of the book that, everything she's done in the fifth season is just getting her to the story that she really wants to tell. Like the fifth season is just like just setting the scene and everything that comes later is the real deal. I guess we'll see. Yeah, exactly. I, to be perfectly honest, if there weren't two other books, if things just ended here and this was it, I'd be like, damn, that was a good book. And Mm -hmm. I like, I am satisfied and with the exception of the cliffhanger last line and, yeah yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> um <laughs> anyway i had something else i was gonna say and that kind of chased it out of my brain thanks ryan you're welcome yeah that's uh, i helped too <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about another point from jafu we're getting all jafu stuff out of the way right <laughs> just 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 as one should. Exactly. Get it Get it over with. Uh, he says, I feel like there was a lot of info that's fed to you without context. This is, I think, more stylistic kind of stuff. A lot of info that's fed to you without context, which, which makes piecing the world together a challenge. This isn't uncommon for epic fantasy, but I felt like it was on the extreme end, and I didn't expect that of a Hugo winner for some reason. Feels like there's a conversation to have about the use of this in fantasy literature in general, and specifically about whether it worked for you in fifth season. So... This is something I struggled with a lot my first time through. So let me explain that. I have not read this book twice, but I have read it one and a half times. <laughs> a few months ago when I had surgery, I had surgery on my nose and throat and 
Um, and I, so I was laid up for a while and I started the book and I made it about halfway through. And now I know if I had literally gone like five more pages, I would have been hooked. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's not like I put the book away in disgust and was like, oh, this is so boring. It was just, you know, you get distracted. And if a book hasn't hooked you, then those distractions are allowed to take over. So I read about half of it, put it aside. And then when we, uh, when it came time to read it for the show, I was like, you know what? I better start again at the beginning um, and, and try again, you know, from the beginning. So I don't miss out on, or, you know, not remember some of the context or something. And it was so much better the second time through. And this kind of gets to a, a question that someone else was asking about uh, going back and, Oh yeah, Lammy Lambs said since you finished the book, have you gone back and reread the beginning with context? Um, yes, and yes, I've actually read the prologue in the first chapter now three times. So anyway, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so this idea of of not giving you all the details, it it is very common, but usually you have the chapter two dump. Frodo and Gandalf sit down around the fire and they're like, this is the one ring. Or, you know, Vin and Kelsey are sit down and he's like, you are the chosen one. Or, whatever, I do, whatever conversation. There's the, the... All played by a poor man's Christopher Lee. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> Alan on sits down with uh, with Shea Olmsford and is like, the sword of Shadara. Uh, so, so that is totally normal and you kind of expect that. You get nothing like that in this book. It's doled out piecemeal every once in a while you get another piece of context and meanwhile you've been getting all these references to the way that the fulcrum works and your the way the guardians work and you're just like i always throw up my hands i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know sarah did that bother you it really didn't and i think that's because i went in into reading a fantasy novel being like well i'm not gonna get most of this because that's how these books always are (laughs) and it just i i just decided to be okay with it and i think i was I didn't mind as much because I I liked the that sounds so simplistic, but it's true. Like I did <laughs> like the characters more, and I was more interested in the conversations they were having, um, and in the inner monologues they were having. That I didn't really care so much that I didn't understand the whole whole idea of like stone lore or guardians and who they are. Like I didn't need, even though I was aware that that stuff didn't really make sense to me yet. I didn't mind so much, I think, for those two reasons. Do you do you feel like you retained that information as you went through, and so the revelations weren't so revelatory, um, if that makes sense? Yeah. Or, or did it just kind of like fly over your head, and you're like, I don't care, whatever? No, I think I, I, think I got enough I, it, in order to understand later when things did fall into place, like, oh, right, that makes sense because of that thing from before. <laughs> yeah. I, and But I'm sure that... I have gone back to read the prologue again and there were a lot of things that I was like, oh, right. Yeah, I completely ignored that. I like, didn't, I mean, how I could didn't you do anything else? It, right. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't pique my interest at all initially. Um, so I'm sure there's plenty of things like that, but I understood enough that I feel like I, I, I think I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I get what's going on here. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, this one, I feel like a lot of authors, uh, especially in epic fantasy, you've talked about the chapter two dump, but they'll they'll toss these things out and they'll tie a little rope to it and hand that back to you and say, just hold on to it for a little bit. So you kind of build this little web of things and then all of a sudden this magic moment. lies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the author, you know, is like, all right, now pull on the string and watch what happens and snap together. There's this beautiful like, oh, there, it's, it's yeah. so cool and everything. Uh, this one, it took, there were, it took longer than I had wanted to give, yeah. than I wanted to give it for that moment of snap it all together mm-hmm. and, and see what it is. Um, which 
honestly, it's a danger if you are trying to uh, attract newer readers to fantasy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's I don't really think that's her goal here. Like it's not you know I need to get new people into fantasy no, with this no, at all. No, no. Um, but that being said, it's the the reveal is rewarding. Like it's still it's like oh yes, that's a lot of pieces that you kept floating uh, out there, but. You know, it, it still felt nice because when you when you see the whole picture put together, when re- the big revelation, I think we haven't even... Um, We're getting there. I've got a question about that from Discord. Yeah. But when you get the big revelation, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Every piece that you can remember, you start to go, it goes here, it goes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a very rewarding feeling. But I know there's still ones floating out there. Even having finished the series, there's still pieces that are floating out there that I did not grab a hold of. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there was just... So many. So you've read all three. Have you gone back and read any portion since no. you finished it? No. Okay, so it's just one read through. One read through. Yeah. That's far I haven't been gone back in yet. Well, uh, having read the first part of this several times, <laughs> I would definitely recommend, you know, it's a bit like the Wheel of Time where the prologue suddenly means so much more. And I've only read one book, you know, maybe it'll mean even more uh, two more books from now. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I would definitely say go back and check out the prologue. I appreciate it without spoiling anything. She does a very good job of like a lot of a lot of really good authors can do. You'll go and you'll go. uh, You'll realize, oh, yeah, at the end of book one here, uh, back in the prologue, a me a and you get point point A to B. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then you finish it and you realize A to B was actually A to D, but it still works. Right. If I I think I got you. It will uh, it make was more weird. sense after book three. <laughs> that, was a, that was a weird point, but I think I get you. <laughs> okay, so let's talk then about, oh, let's see, which way do I want to go with this? Uh, you know what? Let's address Kip Dan's question first, and then I'm going to get to Colonel Rabbit talking Colonel about- Colonel Rabbit. Colonel Rabbit. I, is that a thing? Is that a reference to something you No, know? I have no idea. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a funny name. Great names. I love, yeah. I love it. Okay, so Kip Tan says, who do you have the most pity for? In this book, Essen, Uche, Alabaster, Corundum, uh, Lerna, Teramo, Humanus, etc. I will tell you right off the bat, it ain't Lerna. <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> okay, can I just say, this is one of those times when I, I liked so much of what she did in this book, and then there were a couple of spots where I was just like, no, nope, no, no, no. And one of those was when she shows up in this geode city, right? Which is mm-hmm. awesome, by the way. An excellent, uh, an excellent setting. This giant geode in the, uh, you know, under the crust of the earth or whatever. And she goes in this geode city and they're showing her around. And then somebody shows up and he's like, she's like, is that you, Lerna? Mm-hmm. And it's this moment of revelation. And oh my gosh, this character, this blast from the past. And I'm like, who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't make Who, enough of an impression on yeah, me no, initially. I, I I haven't gotten back to the first part where apparently Lerna appears, but I, but anyway, so it's this character whose appearance and revelation doesn't land for me in the slightest. And then she goes on for fully like two or three pages where Lerna is telling you the story of how he came to the Geode City. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I'm like, I do not care <laughs> i don't care i cared because i kept being like okay she's gonna tell me something that tells me who he is <laughs> and then she did and i was like oh okay i'm good to see you again larna welcome <laughs> welcome to the geode <laughs> i'm new here but i'm glad you came <laughs> so yeah that i hated that moment i was like i would just i would take a blue pencil to that so hard 
Uh, either got to give us more of Lerna beforehand so that he makes more of an impression or scrap this. Uh, Sorry, go on. I figured with with Lerna's appearance specifically, he is not the one that I have the most pity for. No. He'd be be on the list, um, but... Well, all these people are on the list, right? on Kipton's list, but... When he first appeared, it was, and she'd made a big deal at the beginning. Again, this is one of those floating pieces that sits out there until it all snaps together. Um, at the beginning, he's the one who shows her appreciate, like, as much as love exists for her in the early portions of her story, he's the one who shows it to her beginning on there. So I see him come back and I go, we're getting a love story now. <laughs> Lerna's coming back. The whole thing with Alabaster is kind of, weird and on its own thing and the island anyway um Lerna's <laughs> back so this is going to be our love story and I was like okay and fizzle that, and nothing and then Lerna I for for at least for book one it was like okay thank you for visiting it was good to see you again no it wasn't it was not I assure you it was not no thank you for visiting uh, okay, but who do we feel the most pity for in this book? Uh, I, I, the I most mean, acute pity for me was Demaya during the scene when her guardian breaks her hand. Oh, yeah. That was the most, like, I don't know, tied for the most heart-wrenching moment. For do you me feel like that's because you're a mom? Um, no. I, I felt like I was relating to it as, as Demaya, Demaya, not as, like, the, uh, the mother of a child who would mm-hmm. be hurt that way. I think because, and the way she wrote it was also so captivating and like heartbreaking because when she finally asks her guardian, whose name I cannot remember, when she asks her guardian, why are you doing this? And he says, I love you. And you realize like what an abusive cycle and like spiral this all is. Like I'm hurting you to keep you safe. I have to, um, control your every word and you're not allowed to say no to me because 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 of how much I love you. Right. It's what is so this? toxic. Weren't we watching a movie recently with the that kind of uh, psychologically oh. abusive parent-child relationship? Tangled. Yes. Oh <laughs> my gosh. We were driving and the kids were watching Tangled in the back seat and me and Craig and we could hear it. Me and Craig kept looking at each other being like, it's so awful. Like, oh yeah. Anyways. Good, yeah, good she's one of the worst villains, Disney villains. I, that, that is, I'm sorry. Okay, quick legendary <laughs> tangent here. Uh, I think that Tangled and a Goofy movie are both wildly underappreciated for how emotionally complex they are. Mm. Uh, so, and, and both nearly perfect movies. So, uh, Do you have a legendary tangent sound effect? Oh, we should. I Can would... you make us one right now? No. Oh, okay. No, you're All in right. charge of that. Okay. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. Yeah! <laughs> uh, so let's get back to the question at hand. Who do we feel the most pity for? For me, I don't know exactly. I I think Demaya might be a strong contender, um, but I, I I'd have to go with Essen on this one. That just. It's and it might be that second person narrative that I was talking about, where I was forced to feel what she was going through in a way mm-hmm. that isn't typical with your third person narrative. So, I'm going to throw Alabaster. I was as, I almost said that, but I'm curious to hear why yeah, for you. That's a he's a tragic, tragic soul. A lot of people would not think of Alabaster as someone to pity because he is so powerful. Because he is. 
you know, he has everything. He actually can get away with right. with all these things. But that placement is also incredibly lonely, and it becomes very apparent as he works with uh, she cyanite cyanite. Yeah, this four ringer who's been sent to breed with him, and mm-hmm. and literally that's their purpose is to just to breed. And so he realizes, you know, I, I just feel like living a life with that much power, with as much knowledge as he has, being that lonely is just so tragic and so sad. Mm-hmm. And it, on top of all that stuff, all this power that he possesses and the uh, ostracization that comes along with that, turns out he's gay as well. Mm-hmm. And being forced to go through this breeding program can't be an easy like, thing. Repeatedly, right. endlessly. Uh, and, you know, for all of his power, he's still enslaved like he he has he he still is ostracized by an entire world considered the the thing to fear and therefore is hated the the more power he attains in a way the more hated he is like it's yeah i i think i think you've made a strong case for alabaster oh boy all right so quick question oh okay it is not i'll I'll move on to the next one in a second is Alabaster gay or is he bisexual? I don't know exactly. It's it's not totally clear in this book. Okay. As, to me, he read as he read I, as gay. I read him as gay. Yeah. Yes, I think. Well, but, I, maybe but we discussed this a little bit more. Love is very fluid. Uh, <laughs> so as, to speak. As they... <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is a big point of these books, though. Uh, without yeah. treading, I mean, we can talk about it without treading into terrible things. No, that's fine. It's, the this is okay. Sexuality, the the sexuality of, of the people in this uh, in this world, uh, the political viewings, the the race, and the different groupings, everything like, they're all. It is all very big uh, mo- parts of the story, mm-hmm. and uh, the fluidity of the sexuality of these people. Yeah, uh, I don't know that Jemison is coming out and saying this is the way that life should be because it's, this is also a terrible place to live. Yeah, this is I, not a fantasy world I'd want to live in. I, uh, but to give <laughs> us characters who uh, have these different perspectives and orientations and identities, like and what they how they would live in these worlds, like that is that is good representation. I feel like that it was nice to see those things, even though it was surprising to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. Do you remember when we read the Blood Mirror book four of the Lightbringer series? And there's a whole storyline with which I really, really identified. Mm-hmm. People can go back and listen to that episode and that's fine. But that really gave me, I, I think, more of an appreciation for the idea of representation. Um, and I, I think is a valuable thing. I think that a lot of the conclusions that she seems to come through, come to in this book, as far as the way the world works and the way human nature is and all that, like I have serious big major disagreements with her um and you know would love one day to hash those out that would be a lot of fun or at least interesting (laughs) if not fun so i have these huge disagreements but at the same time i do find it valuable to be forced to see in the second person narrative through the eyes of a middle-aged to elderly black woman that's not something that you know, that I, that I get a ton of in my fantasy reading, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or, it, you know, the eyes of the little girl or through Alabaster or whatever, mm-hmm. these different experiences. I do find it valuable. Yeah. Even if, it, so we talked a little bit earlier about how, you know, as you read through it and you don't have all the context clues for what's going on in the story, it can get a little bit wearying. And like, similarly, I know that there's stuff I'm missing because I didn't, because I'm, because I'm not a middle-aged black woman. Like there, there are things that I 
don't understand about what she's communicating through Essen. And that's fine. That's okay. I'll get what I can get, you know, for now. So, um, let's go to, but what was I going to say? Um, Aridandis asked, what do you think about what Jemison was trying to say about the use of power, political, cultural, magical, otherwise in this book? Now this is, that's a big question because mm-hmm. that's basically, so what do you think about this book? <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you think about the point of this book? You know, uh, like I said, I have some pretty big disagreements with the conclusion she comes to, but I'm interested to kick it to you guys and hear what you have to say, Sarah. Well, I'm, I'm just now I, now I'm, uh, I feel like I've been teased into what you're going to say about uh, what in, your big disagreements no, are. In, a, in a moment. I want to, I want to hear you guys. I talked for a moment already. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely I felt like the uses of power how would I say it Brian I think was just was mentioning you know that race and sexuality and all these things are are such major themes of the book and of this world and and but at the same time it's not race in the way we think of it it's not a matter no. of the color of your skin it's a matter of your abilities right right which introduces all sorts of troubling sure. stuff sure but point being i think the, the thing that stands out the most to me is how much how the, all the all the ideas that this that this society tends to hold towards towards origins about them being dangerous and needing to be controlled and everything it comes from a desire to make, to control what they're afraid of you know and and i don't know how many people uh listening to this will have read um the the book stamped from the beginning by ibram kendi but there's he t- so many it's yeah. huge overlap <laughs> uh in the readership i'm sure the there. venn diagram is practically a circle but <laughs> his point in that book is that, you know, we, we have this idea that racial discrimination comes from racist ideas. But if you look at the development uh, through the literature and the history, it's actually it seems to be more flipped that the racist ideas come from the racial discrimination. We come up with these racist ideas in order to justify our racial discrimination. And I think that's true of a lot of things. We come up with justifications for the way we feel after the fact, right? And i that's what I just kept thinking throughout this book is that the people in power have, and, and the institutions in power have perpetuated ideas about the origins that are not accurate, that are discriminatory and biased and oppressive in order to make everybody believe that the origins are not human and that the way that they're treated is okay. And so I think that that just kept coming to me over and over again. Like all the bad things that people say about origins in this book. It's just like, oh, that came after the fact. You were yeah. scared and you came up with reasons that it was okay for you to hate them. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, tales old as time, I think. Ryan, thoughts? Yeah. There was a, there's a few things that she does in here that really stand out to me and that draw very clear parallels to now. And I actually took time. I don't, I don't, I'll admit, I don't always research our books like or do a ton of things afterwards. Nor should we, I think. I think this should be about our Experience. reactions to it. Yeah. Uh, but after finishing, I wanted to go back and try and learn a little bit more about the author's intention and go and read some of what she has said about her own works. Yeah. Things like that. And 
uh, trying to read and understand, did I get what you were aiming for or did I have a different experience because I don't have the same lenses that you were, that you would yeah, want me to see through I'm, this or whatever. I'm unavoidably, probably. Um, and some of them, some, some come straight across. One of the big examples in this book, I think that draws a direct parallel to modern day and current stuff is with origins and the way that they are named the uh, Ragas. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's, it's no accident that that's a two syllable word with a double G in the middle. Yeah, it's that right there. It, to me, I, I read, I went through those moments and the fact that Alabaster, you know, used it as both a, uh, it's a word that he owns, but it's also a derogatory against right. trying to reclaim something or to sit there and look at it and try and, and go through this viewpoint and go, I can see this is a very clear correlation. This should, this shouldn't take a whole lot for you to see the, 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 the comparison here, but maybe this will help me understand better Mm-hmm. Uh, the the real world correlation here. Yeah. Um, but uh, that moment in the book was very clear. This book for me also, I feel like it set up a lot of this is the way things are now in the power structure. It teaches you about you know the fulcrum and having the guardians and what they mm-hmm, do, mm-hmm. And the way it, where origins are. But it doesn't explain a lot of the why. I don't feel like there's a lot of the the why things are the way that they are. Because as soon as you start getting into the why we get into the discussion of what Sarah was just talking about, it's where did these ideas come from or whatever. Right. And uh, at the end of reading the first time, my th- my feelings were, I want to understand better why this world is the way it is. You know, what happened when everything fell apart that made, that has put these people in this? And is it just fear that's holding, that's making these people want to keep these origins in check, essentially, with the Guardians? and why are guardians allowed the the latitude the they power are, structure right? that they have they are, yeah. you know what's yeah. why is why is the why is the structure why <laughs> sure, is the man sure and enough. i think that especially gets highlighted when alabaster and cyanite go to this little utopian island where they're able to have their polyamorous love triad for one thing but mm-hmm. also like there's no um distaste for origins and actually it's like yeah they keep us safe like they're an important part of our social structure like we respect that gift you know when you have that comparison available i think it's actually it's really illuminating hey i found the island i want to come back to the the point we were just talking about the stuff we were just talking about but the island real quick Mm -hmm. or maybe this does kind of lean into our subject at hand because when I first got to the island, I had the same thought, like, oh my gosh, she's giving us a, a, a utopia to this compare against. This is the way life should be. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about it for a second. I'm like, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, because these people are pirates. They're literally pirates who go and raid coastal villages and take whatever they can from others to support their lifestyle mm-hmm. back on the island. This is no... Uh, you know, this is this is no paradise of uh, angelic people who are you know living well, their best lives or whatever. Um, I maybe she was going for a utopia yeah, here, I mean, but uh, hard think, pass on that one. Well, the other day I heard this quote; it has been on my mind so much. I heard it in a podcast um, from a writer named Adrian Marie Brown, and she's she's talked about how utopias are always built a, on top of dystopias. Um, oh boy now we're getting into some stuff (laughs) all right here we go the point is in this world a little island utopia that exists in a larger planet full Mm -hmm. of dystopias 
it's going to have to function differently than it would if the whole world was like a on bunch board of little... with origins and oh, like we're we're fine like we we we're happy to live peacefully and whatever like they have to function differently and and you saying like this isn't a paradise of angelic people like i don't think a utopia has to be all angelic people that's right? what it means like, I, I mean they they are living at least as far as what we're given in the story i feel like we're given a lot of evidence that the life they live there is very peaceful and happy and fun and fulfilling mm. and except for when cyanide gets into the mix we don't even necessarily learn that they're hurting anybody they're stealing goods but like you, you got to do what you got to do in a world that's mostly dystopia like i don't know it just to me it was unambiguously like I like you guys. Yeah. I'm on your. Mm. I'm on. I'm on Team Island people. It's, yeah. No. No. It seemed the the island portion uh, meeting. What was his name? I swear it starts with an I. Yeah. Uh, no. You're Inan. right. Inan. Yeah. In You know the Jack Sparrow of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, going through that whole sequence, I read it and I kept going. This is the break for our characters. This is a chance for them to breathe and to to develop in a different way other than just through the friction of hardship and struggle out here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I looked at the time on the island and you know that the other shoe's going to drop at some point in time. Yeah. Uh, and realizing a little bit to, to Sarah's point of like, this is, it's a different lifestyle, everything. It's, it's, they have to do things differently. The part of the reason they're able to survive is that honestly being on an island is the worst place you can be in a, yeah. in a world that is shocked with earthquakes all the time which i really liked like, the, those times when she obviously thought through the consequences of her magic system that's always nice to read yeah Sorry, go on but so to me i looked at like okay that they, they've traded off the natural safety so they've traded off all these other things to have this other utopia where they don't have to protect themselves quite so much i i, I enjoyed the island i liked the island but i did not think that the island would last i kept looking at it going this is not going to stay this way right forever yeah. this is a temporary piece uh, and honestly i i cannot think of really any utopian examples in fantasy in any works anywhere where the utopia lasts outside of the introduction of one foreign element mm. right mm -hmm. i mean utopia i think i've talked about this on a previous episode but the word like no place right the word utopia in greek like from the original greek starting with a u that means no place it does not exist it cannot exist it mm -hmm. runs into human nature and implodes right so a utopia with an e at the beginning utopia like that would be the greek for a good place and okay anyway so it's interesting that we have used this word utopia to mm -hmm. mean Paradise. what it does yeah anyway yeah. so it's uh very interesting speaking of which all right so as far as stuff that I wasn't quite on board with, hey, I, I have forgotten why I wanted to get into this, Ryan. It was something you said that reminded me of, uh, you know, I, I wanted to say something about how I was a little bit worried. My expectation going in was that this was going to be some uh, like a, a racial allegory. And I feel like it didn't quite fall into that trap. There was uh, the allegorical elements were few and far between when she got into them. I thought it was uh, that was the book at its weakest because allegory tends to fall apart really quickly upon any sort of uh, examination. Um, and that, that those were the parts where I struggled a little bit, where there was a, a part. Let me see if I can get back to where I was looking. 
Like there's a part uh, most of the way through the book, and she does this frequently throughout. Where she this is a theme she returns to a lot, and that's missing history or the things you weren't told, the things you weren't mm-hmm. taught, um, and I and those are the parts where I was like, you know, she's talking about the uh, Demaya is talking to Binoff. And Binoff is like, you know, the stuff the tutors teach you about humanness was about how humanness was founded and gaps in the history. And it's like, oh, boy. All right. Well, here we go. And those are the moments when it's like, okay, she's making a very, very clear statement about our world. And and that's when it gets a little bit tedious. And and I find things to nitpick and disagree with. And so as the more she stayed kind of big picture and like human nature and uh, various experiences those are the parts i was like oh man i'm i'm i feel like i'm learning something i'm seeing something new and then the parts when she tried to like take direct aim at some really specific contemporary issue mm-hmm. i was like all right uh yeah, sorry i'm off off the train for a moment and then she would shift out of it and i was okay so uh there was some other stuff that i could pull up but ryan you look thoughtful no i i can i can understand having that feeling i Oh, I, yeah, I did find another one. I feel that for... I actually applaud her. Normally, I don't know. I, I will tell you right now, and this hypocrisy abounds, I'm sure, for me on this, but yeah, I will applaud her for being willing to be a little more specific about this and have that and make a very clear statement on that um, in the ways that she does it because I don't feel like it's the main point of the book like she doesn't say you know doesn't drive those moments in as the core part of her plot she does it in other elements to in in other moments to say okay you need to be aware of this this idea Mm -hmm. here you know for example the the quote you brought up there uh yeah uh the fact that history is written by the victors is Uh, yeah is a debatable point but sure Uh, as a cliche it's fine sure okay um missing history points yeah it it affects things and i think stating being willing to go in and state that uh it's not her main thesis but it is worth no worth mentioning and it makes her and she's planting a flag and that's okay and i feel like even if you don't agree with it you can go through it and read it and not have it diminish the the piece as a whole other than maybe the moment you know the moment that you had there i so for me i I'm a little more applauding of that moment. Normally, I'm one who would say, you know, don't beat me over the head with things. But uh, when you when you are when your intent is to make some statements, you do need to plant a few flags. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I I get that. And I probably honestly just was put off by it because I disagree with it. Um, at least as a as a generalized concept. Like, yes, I understand that there are certain aspects of history that don't get taught enough. Well, guess what? None of history gets taught enough these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, like everybody needs to learn more about every kind of history, and that would honestly, over the long term, solve quite a lot of our problems if people knew more history of any kind. Any kind. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another legendarium tangent. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I I felt like I was kind of skirting around it, and I was like, all right, I might as well say what I mean. Yeah. So well, uh, anyway, but there, can I ask though? You you said. I I forget exactly how you phrased it, but maybe we could go back and replay that again, Johnny. You said something about how you you really like the commentary on human nature, but then when she got specific, it it bothered you or when when she was trying to speak directly to a contemporary issue. But to me, I feel like this idea of like 
the untold parts of history or the forgotten parts of history mm-hmm. is very human nature worthy. Like, so what do you mean? I mean, for her to talk about how parts of history are overlooked or not taught or, you know, intentionally erased out of, you know, whatever narratives like that, that is also part of the human story and something that humans tend to do. So why is it a problem for that to be one of the things she mentioned? Well, you know, can I, can I address that kind of legendarium tangentially? (laughs) Um, the way you just said that is, you know, the way things get overlooked or erased mm-hmm. intentionally. And I feel like that actually kind of gets at one of the, the heart of one of the disagreements I, that I have with the book. And that's that if and this is why when when I'm not reading it as some kind of allegory, I'm like, OK, no, this is, it's a great story. It's interesting. I'm, I'm really enjoying reading it stylistically. It's it's uh, great to sink my teeth into whatever. Uh, but if it is allegorical in you know in, in too strong a way then it seems very uh what's the word i'm looking for um uh, cynical in a kind of conspiracy theorist kind of way it subscribes to this idea that there's a there's a fulcrum there's a, you know the the guardians the whatever there's some malevolent cabal out there that is um uh, that is orchestrating or, you know, that, that they're keeping certain people down and there's I, a systemic problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually, no, I, I, I wouldn't say that because to say something is a systemic problem is it's talking about the system, but what you start to get into is this kind of the conspiracy theory of there is a group of people who run the system. Right. This right. is more. You're talking more Illuminati. Not that there aren't problems with systems. Exactly. That there's you an Illuminati can, who is di- directing this whole thing. Exactly. Okay. You can get. You can get into. Here's the problem with the way things work nowadays. But I think in from my understanding of the world, <laughs> boy, are people going to have fun with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> from my understanding of the world, no, there there isn't some, you know, uh, <laughs> some omni-capable group of people running things it's no the things are set up the way they are and and they're just running kind of naturally uh running their course in in some ways and i'm i'm gonna get to something else i think in a minute that uh kind of goes a little bit against that but no there's no cabal there's no guardians out there there's no whatever that are that are that have orchestrated this System. That you know of yet in terms of this in specifically this book. Series, Once, I, I mean, I'm I'm not talking about the lizard people, which clearly run everything uh, in the world. You know, uh, discounting the lizard people. No, there's no cabal. Yeah, my only. But in a fantasy novel, there is a cabal. Like there, there are guardians. And that's and that's one of the right in this book. <laughs> yeah, there are guardians, and that's why I say it puts me off a little bit, and why um, I don't tend to agree with what I think is some of the things that she is getting at because if it is you know allegorical even a little bit with regards to that sort of thing then what she's saying is no there's there's these people and if we just get to the right people and if we just tear down you know whatever that cabal is then we'll suddenly every like everybody will be free of that you know the evil taint of whatever on on the world i feel though i and we can we can get off of this in one second but just this (laughs) idea like 
in every fantasy series that I'm aware of via you, sure. <laughs> there is like a cabal or there's like one big bad guy mm-hmm. or whatever. And the quest is to like get rid of them, strip them of their power, uh, expose them. And if this is an al- if this is an allegory, I think we could say that the way the origins are treated is very similar to enslavement, right? It, well, it is enslavement. It's it's very similar to the American system of slavery. Is it? It, that, it didn't feel very similar to me. I feel like I don't know what else this would be an allegory for, personally. Exactly. That's that's and that's one of the reasons why. I enjoyed the book so much because I wasn't able to draw some easy parallel and then tear it apart. Okay. Um, it was like, oh no, this is different enough that it's it can just kind of stand on its own. Okay. All right. Um, I guess the one thing I'll say is that yeah, it does kind of it does kind of sound like a conspiracy theory to be like, oh, something was intentionally erased from the record. Um, and we've talked enough about conspiracy theories lately, just in our <laughs> in our personal time in our kitchen <laughs> that. That obviously, like we we have some shared knowledge on that, but I think one thing that makes this time in in um in the world so tricky is that sometimes people are conspiring. Sometimes there is a conspiracy going on. That doesn't mean there's a cabal, but some but sometimes like the things that you think sound so crazy, eventually you find out that they're documented fact. And so for her to say like the things that were not taught in school or the things that are left out of the record, I'm like. Yeah, believable. There doesn't have to be a cabal of people running that. Sometimes it's just true that like the system <laughs> like I won't be has part that conspiracy. Of your system. <laughs> anyway. And I think in this one, even with the information we have th- th- uh, this far in the story, uh, in drawing comparisons, uh, specifically the fulcrum and the the guardians, whatever. The fact is, their their entire system of using origins, they would have to adjust and they would have to control the narrative. Mm-hmm. And things. Otherwise, yeah, uh, you the your uh, stills. Yeah, right, the mm-hmm. term, like, stills wouldn't be willing to deal with origins because every time they run into one, they're already terrified of them. Mm-hmm. They either wouldn't be willing to work with them, or uh, you wouldn't be able to have the, the the power structure that's there. Like it's it's literally, if you want to say it's an allegory, uh, then I would say yes. The, there is enough there to draw the parallels of. Uh, deals with race and everything currently mm-hmm. i think there's enough there and i think her intention is to say that not to say this is the way things should be and this is the way things are and this is everything's there uh, it's to say look at what living with look at what uh, how these people are dealing with race in this story and take a minute and, and realize that it's not so far different for us now mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. That, it, that it is this way but you should be able to draw enough parallels from it right yeah. Well, ultimately, for me, uh, I think the thing that made me the most thematically uncomfortable uh, wasn't all that stuff. That's all, you know, kind of small potatoes or whatever. It's it's interesting to talk about, but whatever. I think we get to the crux of this entire book, and I'm very interested to read books two and three to see how this particular thing plays out. Um, and that is when... Cyanite is having a discussion with, what's his name? Alabaster. Alabaster. And he says, you can't make anything better. The world is what it is. Unless you destroy it and start all over again, there's no changing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, um, I think that's 
in my view, a, a horribly misguided way to look at how human progress works mm -hmm. and, you know, how the world has worked over the last, you know, several thousand or even just the last few hundred years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and no, I, I reject the notion that we have to tear it all down just to rebuild it. And so the, the book, the magic system, that everything is kind of centered around this idea where, okay, so Father Earth is, you know, as long as we're getting allegorical, Father Earth is the ultimate oppressor. Uh, the thing that is keeping humankind uh, down and is constantly threatening destruction, extinction. And so, uh, uh, you know, ultimately these seasons come because uh, of, of a breaking and remaking. Um, and, you know, Alabaster in, in the end or in the beginning, I guess, <laughs> depending on how we look at it, Alabaster comes to this realization you can't, fix anything you can't improve you have to break it and start over and so that's exactly what he tries to do and i just reject that notion and so. we'll i mean i it's not spoiling anything you'll deal with the aftermath and have to deal with what with his breaking i certainly hope so yeah. in the future yeah. and so you, I, we will definitely revisit this concept because you know whether alabaster is right or not in that in that sentiment and the fact that he takes and is strong enough to take action to make that change, to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, I, we'll definitely revisit it. Mm -hmm. um, I, when it comes to that statement specifically, I, I'm going to use another phrase that I used earlier. I, I, I agree with it a certain percentage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I view it the same way um, when there's a problem with something like a, a, a lemon car. There, you know, there have been a handful of cars in the history, and I'm not a car guy. I can't name any of them, or whatever. Ford Pinto. There's a handful of cars that the design is just so poor that the manufacturer stops making them. Okay. You can still take a bad design. They've taken body uh, body pieces from those other elements. You can look through it, and at a certain point uh, with the car, if it's not working, you can replace parts and make it work, right? But on a lemon, those parts keep breaking. So at a certain point, you have to go back and redesign. That doesn't mean you throw everything out. It means you go through and you you go and say, okay, these pieces work. They're going to stay. The body style can stay. These things can do this. Okay. And you rebuild that way. It doesn't mean destroy everything, burn it all down, start 100% from right. scratch. But Alabaster's point is, no, you burn it all down, you exactly. start from scratch. And like I said, I, only, I agree with the portion of you might have to go back further than you think to change things. You might have to go back to the point where you're in blueprints saying what works, what doesn't, what makes this a lemon. Instead of just sending it to the shop. Instead of just okay. replacing yeah. a single piece. Yeah. I can. I think I can get on board with that. I'll think about that a little bit more, but yeah, that seems reasonable. And I, I think the way I read that portion, it wasn't to me like that Jemison was making that argument, but that that is a school of thought that Alabaster represents. Yes. There is a, a way of thinking about the world um, or even just about certain things in the world that that you would say this is this is broken like fundamentally and i'm getting out of it um i'm a tarot person and there's a card in the tarot called the tower that really talks about that that like sometimes whether it's a relationship or just like a life path that you're on it's like this is irredeemable there's no there's no fixing this there's no like adding a certain part to the car or like making this improvement on the house that's going to make it okay it's just bad and i think that is a school of thought but there are other schools of thought represented in the narrative as well and 
Yeah, you know, and that's why I say I'm, I'm really interested to read the second and third books because I get the impression mm-hmm. that that is the central point that she's making in this mm-hmm. book, and maybe it's not. And this is a trilogy for a reason. So mm-hmm. yeah, books two and three. Are we going to read books two and three? People are uh, have been asking us. Yes, we're going to read books two and three. <laughs> Ryan's already done it. Sarah's interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I'm interested. It's happening. So we're already pretty well over an hour, but yeah, I, I think we have to take a few more minutes there. Are a couple other things we have to address in this book. Ryan, I've got a few more things on Discord. Did you have anything else that you specifically wanted to get to, or should I ask you some Discord things? Go ahead and toss the Discord. I can toss the Discord. All right. <laughs> I don't know what that means exactly, but... Um, Spin the Discord? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wheel of Discord, turn, turn, turn. Uh, to throw a fox in this hen house, says okay. Jack. Do you think the book deserved the Hugo? I've got a really easy answer to this. Sarah, you... I also have an easy answer. What's a Hugo? Who, what's a Hugo for? <laughs> Who's, who is Hugo really and why qualified. is he deciding all this yeah, stuff? Yeah, I'm really not qualified, yeah. so I leave it to you guys. Uh... I'm about to lose some literary credentials here. Yeah. A literary cred. Um, I know of the Hugo Award. <laughs> I know that it is What's now a, a questionable <laughs> thing. Like now people, have, there's been a whole bunch of things around it. Honestly, I remember awards and like my kids' books where it was just a silver sticker on there. Like this yeah, one, yeah. this. And it was like, cool. The the Newberry Medal? Yeah. Awesome. And so, should it have won the Hugo? Sure. Know. Yeah, sure. I don't. I don't care if that's it did the, or didn't. That's exactly my position. Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? I don't know. So, I'm looking over at this shelf. We have a dedicated shelf here in the studio to the books that we have covered on the show. And if you look through this, the common theme that comes up from anywhere from you know David Eddings to the Chronicles of Narnia to the Odyssey, generally speaking. What we're covering is the stuff that has been around for long enough that it has floated. It's, you know, the cream of the crop. It has floated to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even if it's not super old, right, you know, like uh, you know, we read um, you know, Brent Weeks. Brent Weeks hasn't been around all that, uh, that long, but he had been around long enough at that point that enough people had recommended him that, yeah, okay, let's do him for the show. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, and so what we don't do on this show is cover like, here are the top 20 books that came out in 2019, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Like, that's that's not what we do. And so, because we don't keep up with the contemporary scene, we have no idea. And and frankly, I don't care all that much. If you're expecting us to be like the indie book club, you know, in, <laughs> right. in, the, in the Portland coffee shop, it's just not us. That's not us. That's yeah. not us. At least so, not right now. <laughs> that's not to say there aren't many worthy books that you have read off of the Hugo list or whatever. Like that's 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 fine. That's just not the way that we have decided what to read the last six years. So yeah. um, anyway, so yeah, I don't know. Did it deserve I, the as as far as I'm concerned? Would I give this book an award? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really really good, um, and I was especially pleased with again what I thought was going to be some sort of lame literary exercise that turned out to be actually really attractive to me that that second person that she pulled off really well um so yeah i'm into it all right last one from sarah's favorite colonel rabbit (laughs) colonel rabbit asks when did you figure out and here's the twist right oh okay we're finally getting to the twist when did you figure out all three povs were the same character dun 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 do you how do you feel like it was executed or did you like how it was executed um 
Sarah? I don't remember specifically when I found out, except that it's like the last available second to have found out. Like <laughs> yeah. just when she when she just said, surprise, they're the same. Like I wasn't picking up you on weren't, any You hints. weren't looking for that, I, I'm guessing. I, I wasn't worried about it. And honestly, I felt a little disappointed. I'm not mad at a twist or anything, but I really liked reading this story that as I was starting it and getting familiar with each of the protagonists, I was like, this, this is so cool that this is a world that this author chose to portray through the eyes of three female protagonists. I was like, that's, that's really cool, you know? And then to later find out, it's kind of like, well, yeah, she kind of had to. Like, just, just, the one. The same, just one person, but at different ages. Like, it wasn't, you know, it didn't really diminish my enjoyment at all, but it was a little bit, I, I just wanted them each to be important in their own right, I guess. Instead I felt of, like they were. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I see what you're saying, though. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I found out when it was very clearly spelled out. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because I have more experience with fantasy or whatever. I, who knows? I figured it out yeah. pretty early on. The, the first twist is you figure out that Cyanite is future Demaya. Um, and then you figure out that Essen is future Cyanite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I figured out the, the first twist, uh, quite early. And then the second twist, um, a little bit closer to when the reveal happened, but mm-hmm. I did figure them both out before. And I really liked how I figured out the first one. So as I was reading through, <laughs> okay, giving yourself a pat on oh, the back. I'm giving myself a huge pat on the back because it was so much fun. I, it's one of those nice little, uh, literary treasure hunts that an mm-hmm. author can lead you on. Um, so with the second person narrative we've okay so that's interesting and different and whatnot and then as i'm reading the cyanide chapters i realized that oh this this is in third person present instead of the normal third person past that we usually read and so i thought okay well that's interesting and then as i was reading the demaya chapters uh, you know i'm in chapter six seven whatever i don't i don't remember exactly where at some point maybe the second or third time we get her point of view i realized that she was also in third person present and i thought okay well but if this was just some literary exercise she would have given her a first person narrative or third person past or something different but it's not it's the same as cyanites and so I okay a little light bulb went off and then i started looking for the little parallels that you're given early on between the two and okay so i figured that one out pretty quick and uh because I didn't get that with the second reveal. It came a little bit later, but uh, yeah. Ryan, do you remember back that far, book one? Yeah, I I was starting to have suspicions uh, a bit before it's revealed. Um, I do not have the uh, grammatical skill set behind me to go other than to recognize first person, second person, third person type yeah. thing. So I don't catch on to the, you know, fourth person perpendicular, <laughs> whatever, third person pass, whatever. I did not catch on to those hints. Uh, but there were other little things that kind of noticed. And then uh, before it was revealed, it got spoiled for me anyway. So oh, like, really? Yeah. Oh, was, no. I was like, oh. There's... I feel like that would be one of the chief joys of this book, honestly, because I, I, th- I thought it was really well executed. Thankfully, I wasn't too far from the reveal anyway. It wasn't mm. super early. But yeah, it was. I was starting to look up some other things for uh, to try and piece together some things that just weren't making sense and yeah it was like oh yeah they're all the same it's the same person just at different times and i went back and went yep that makes perfect sense uh with how everything's being written so the real question is from here at the end of book one 
what do you think she's going to do going forward in books two and three with this? Because you've kind of closed up those first oh, two narratives. Yeah. And so now you only have the one or what are you going to do? I don't know. I have, I had that same thought. Where are you going to go from here? Perspective wise, is it just going to be two more books of straight Essen chapters? No, she can't do that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. She has to introduce more characters or she could do, she could pull a hero of ages um, in the Hero of Ages, we suddenly turn to Spook as a main character who was very much on the periphery before. So it could be a situation where we get, um, what, what was the, the stupid doctor's name who I didn't care about? <laughs> Lerna? 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 Yeah. Maybe Lerna becomes a main character and, and then I, you know, or, uh, <laughs> hang myself. Binoff, the one who... Oh, Binoff, yeah. Tonky. Tonky. I'm like, yeah. Tonky. <laughs> yeah that could be interesting yeah i could see that so yeah i have to assume something like that it could be a character out of whole cloth or somebody we haven't met yet but uh i assume a peripheral character will get a front row placement here coming soon okay oh shut up siri uh <laughs> i don't know what did i ever do to you okay so ryan you're not giving me any uh hints with your facial characteristics here it wouldn't be a huge plot spoiler or anything so 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 this is by the way uh the blue team tends to go pretty long with their um dresden episodes mm -hmm. but for us this is one of the longest episodes we've done outside stormlight uh we're already an hour 18 and we're gonna go just a little bit longer because there's one last thing that i want to bring up and we already hinted at it a little bit before you want to talk about the giant rocks in the sky i do i do um specifically one of them no i don't <laughs> want to talk about the obelisks uh that's something that will come up later uh, does that make any do the obelisks make any sense no they they make very little sense so far although i do have thoughts about that but we can talk about that next time i want to talk about the moon and <laughs> what an ineffectual final line that was okay uh for me i you know obviously other people will feel differently but we get, we get, okay, the last line of the story. Tell me, he says, you know. Uh, Alabaster, Alabaster speaking to Essen. Essen, tell me, he says, have you ever heard of something called a moon? Ba <laughs> yeah. And, and at this point, it's like, no, no, I don't care. I don't, there's no setup for this. There's no, and, and there's no clear reason why that wouldn't matter. You know, it's not like, um, it's not like he says, have you ever heard of something called a moon? And then it's, we're, our, our minds are, our, yeah, it's a space station. Our minds are brought back to some previous passage where, you know, some celestial object interacted with this thing that brought up the, the power and the, no, there's nothing, there's no foreshadowing for this. And so for me, it was like, he says, have you heard of something called a moon? And I'm like, nope, don't care. The end. That's the end of the book. Okay, can we get on to the stuff that matters now? Like, I still want to open up book two, mm -hmm. but I hated that final line. I yeah. just, yeah. Sarah, it reminded you... me, I, so I've been rewatching the show Lost. I actually for, is that for your sins or just for my own enjoyment? Oh, okay. Actually, right. it's been great. It's been a wonderful quarantine activity. <laughs> um, and at the end of every episode of Lost, they usually end on something that's kind of like intense or, you know, cliffhangery or something. Which and I can tell from the other room because they always have the same string hit. Yes. Uh, in the music. Absolutely. And there's always, yes, that audio like that really underscores it. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of episodes of Lost. It was network TV back in the day when you had to have really long seasons and you had to fill them up with something. 
And sometimes the ends of those episodes just don't land. There was one recently where it was they were talking about a submarine and a plane and getting off the island. And someone said, well, how are you going to fly the plane? He's like, we're not le- using the plane. We're going to use the sub. And it's <laughs> like, that's not interesting information. Like you could have just said, that we knew there was a sub. We knew that was one of the two options. <laughs> like, but it was just something to end on. That's how I felt about the moon. And I, also I wanted to be like, was I supposed to know you didn't know what a moon was? Like, obviously, you don't know what a moon is or else he wouldn't have asked that. So do you not have a moon? Yeah. I didn't know that already. So in a different book, you know, in a different author's hands, there would have been some passage where they're sneaking through the library at the fulcrum and they come across some passage about, you know, that references the moon. What the, what is a moon? Have you, you ever know? heard that word before? And, and I am, I am 100% not saying that she should have had that scene. Like, you know, she, she has it. She, what? Oh, oh get out of here, it. Ryan. Whatever. Okay, we missed something. <laughs> we're poor readers. Oh, we're bad people. Budge. Anyway, it's not, no, it just... It is not spelled out as clearly as there was a celestial object called a moon once or anything like that, but she does lay the groundwork because I remember when I read it and went, that makes sense. Uh, this is the that part where you were hanging on to that string. Are you sure that's not in book two? Because I, I am 100% sure because I got this it. This is the part where Sarah and I hang our heads in shame. I know, and... and what did I miss? I didn't understand. Tell me anything. tell me at least that it's in the latter half of the book that I only read once. <laughs> okay. Uh no, I actually I, no, I think it's, it's probably it's probably fairly early in the you know I can't remember exactly and it's it is <laughs> it is a concept that is laid out a few times. <sighs> oh my gosh. But it's in How the to me this? it's reassuring actually that it's in the first half when you're getting so much information yeah, that doesn't make sense. So you're like I don't know. I, I won't pay attention to all this because I have nowhere to put it. I wonder, because I read the first half twice in a row without uh-huh. the second half for context. I wonder if I went back now and read it. If oh, it, if yeah, I'd catch for it. sure. For so. sure you would. And one of the times that you read it, you were drugged as well. That's true. I was on some pretty serious painkillers, so, so which really made the book fantastic. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's let's call it there. This is a pretty long episode. I hope we've given the book its due. Uh, but if there are other things that you would like us to address, then hit us up on Discord. You can find a link to that permalinked on Reddit, thelegendarium.reddit.com. Uh, you can also just shoot me a message on Twitter or whatever. I'll send you the link. So find us on Discord. We would love to see you there. There's a Jemison channel that I now get to unmute <laughs> and talk to people in. I'm very excited about that. Uh, are they going to spoil the other books for you? They, but if they do, I will digitally... End them. These are your supporters. I would expect you to have a little more respect. No, I would expect them to have respect. This is my show, <laughs> not their show. <laughs> You're so fun to be married to. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, no, I, in seriousness, I do hope to hear from everybody. Uh, follow us on all the social medias. If you like what we do and you want to support it, go to patreon.com slash legendarium. Yes, we are doing books two and three. And uh, frankly, I'm really looking forward to it. I like this book. I think the two of you like this book. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be fun discussions going forward. Thanks for listening. See you guys later. All right, hold the phone, everybody. We're doing another episode. Not now, but Sarah, you said that uh, you have, uh, what, 8,000 more things you want to go through? I was just saying that I showed up prepared with notes and talking points and stuff, um, things that I was really interested in in the book, and we didn't 
really get to those. Yeah. And I, I'm not mad about it. But when I mentioned that, Craig was like, oh, bonus episode. It's just there there really is a ton more to talk about, oh, I think. Absolutely. And so I don't I don't know if it probably won't be quite as long as this episode, but I hope. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think I know. <laughs> But I feel like there is a lot more to go over. We never got to the node maintainers and, and uh, there, there's just more to go through. Mm-hmm. Sarah's got notes. Ryan's got, yeah, well, I mean, Ryan will be here. I have feelings. Yeah, Ryan has <laughs> feelings. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's good, Your good enough, I Your feelings are welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so yeah, uh, hold, hold, stand by everybody and we'll be back. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a weekender. We can do a, a shorter episode, but uh, there's more to talk about. So we'll call this part one. Even though we explicitly said this wasn't part one. Yeah, I know. Okay, fine. I break my promises. I'm a bad person. 